Ephesians chapter number 4. I'm shortening our opening text just a little bit. This is a continuation of last week's message, God's formula for a healthy body. We're going to be speaking on a particular subject here today that I believe is so important. I mean, I I cannot begin to tell you how burdened my heart is for the things that we're going to be looking at here today. I believe that that there are deficiencies in the uh, teaching that we're going to be looking at here today in churches all across America, and I believe the deficiencies of that knowledge and understanding Satan is exploiting in an amazing way to try to tear down churches and to hinder the gospel influence here in America. And so sometimes you got to get down to the root of the problem And we're going to be looking at one of many specific areas that I believe we all need to make sure that we are strong in our knowledge and understanding of what the Word of God teaches. Ephesians chapter number 4, if you'll stand with me in honor of God's Word, we'll begin in verse number 11. The Bible says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors, and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, making increase of the body." unto the edifying of itself in love. I want to talk this morning on some key relationships. We'll not look at all of the key relationships that are important to the health of the body, but we're going to look at two specific ones here today that I believe are often neglected. And part of it is because, as I mentioned just in jest with Brother Max, uh, pastors uh, don't like to draw attention to themselves. And so sometimes we avoid those truths that are imperative, and I'll explain that here in just a few moments. Let's go ahead and pray and ask for the Lord's blessings on the message. Father, in Jesus' name, we come to you asking once again that you would enable us and empower us to present these truths. Lord, uh, this is a very teachy message, but God, we need knowledge and understanding when it comes to these key relationships within the church Lord, for the health of the body, we, we just read just a moment ago about the body edifying itself in love. We read how that you gave pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints and the work of the ministry and for spiritual maturity and growth and stability. And Lord, all of these things in, in truthfulness, they are lacking in so many churches in America today. I pray, Father, that it wouldn't be uh, ever be so here. I thank you, Lord, that uh, we at Temple here, I don't uh, see that this area that we're lacking in, 
But Lord, if we're not careful, if we don't teach it and preach it and understand it, Lord, a generation could come up that uh, has no idea what is expected of pastors and people in that key relationship. So please help us now. Help me to make a a difference and be a blessing to you as well as uh, all of the listeners. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So today we focus on some key relationships within the church, and much of modern Christianity and church today has said that, oh, that it's all about relationships, and I don't believe that. I can remember in Boise, Idaho, there was a church across town, and they had they had uh, billboards that they had purchased, and they were advertising and promoting their church, and it said really huge on this billboard, it said it's all about relationships. And I'm not being nitpicky or critical. I understand that uh, very much of the Christian life is indeed about relationships. First and foremost, it's about our relationship with Jesus Christ. All right? So while I'm talking on a very practical pastoral level here today, please don't think that I'm saying that the relationships we're focusing on here today, that any of them are more important than our collective relationship with Jesus Christ, okay? Please make very important note of that. And so I don't believe it's all about relationships. Uh, However, the relationships that we'll look at here today that we just read about in our opening text are a vital part of a healthy church. Last week, we took a look at point number one, which is identifying the body, And I repeat, uh, uh, by way of review, that the body is the church. When we talk about a healthy body, this isn't a a self-help, you know, uh, health seminar. We're talking about the church as the body of Christ and how that churches, God uses the analogy of it's a body. We need to be healthy just like a physical body. In fact, Verse number 16 talks about the body being compacted and fit together with joints and bands and so forth so that it can edify itself in love. That's a message coming up here in the near future, part number 3 or 4 or 12. I don't know when I'll get to that, but it's important and we'll get there when we get there. But in the meantime, we need to remember that the body of Christ, the church, is both local and universal. Our biblical understanding should never be a reaction to doctrinal and practical error. I mentioned last week that there are some who believe in a universal church, but don't believe in a local church. And there are others, probably more Baptists, that believe that in the local church, but they don't believe any in any idea of a universal church. And uh, part of the reason of that is because they have, in my opinion have overreacted to the term Catholic. The term Catholic is just the Latin word for universal. And so the Catholic Church with a big C is saying that we are the universal church. We're the only one. And and so that's an error. And many of the Baptist brethren have avoided the concept of a universal church because they just automatically assume, well, that's Catholic. Well, let me say this that no matter who teaches something, if it's true, it's true. If it's false, it's false. It doesn't matter who. I mean, if listen, if the Jehovah's Witnesses say something that's true, it's true. Amen? I'm not going to 
I'm not going to change my belief into something that's false just because that particular truth is connected to someone who also teaches false doctrine. You know, there are other terminologies other than universal church, like the term trinity. You don't find that in the Bible, but it's still a very true teaching. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three and one. The Bible term is the Godhead, but we refer to it descriptively as the trinity. Just because you don't find that word in the Bible, it doesn't mean it's not a good descriptive word. The word rapture is not in the Bible. But I believe in a catching away, and we can call it the rapture if we want, because if it's true, it's true. If it's false, it's false. I know of a church. Personally, I read their missionary policy, and they were so local church only, they didn't believe in any concept of a local church. And uh, this may shock some of you, but they had a missionary policy. They had sent missionaries out of their church to a foreign mission field. And according to their policy, that any converts by their missionaries sent out of their church that got baptized, that they now were members of the church that sent the missionary. They were local church only. And I scratch my head and I go, wait a minute, that's not local. And so this proves my point that if you, if you hold to one truth at the expense of the other, it's going to create a lot of doctrinal and practical error. Some of you have no doubt heard the term Baptist brighter. And there are some brethren out there that are so Baptist and so local church only that they believe that only the Baptists are going to get raptured and everybody else is going to be stuck here for a while. And listen, I don't believe that. I don't believe that for a moment. I, 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 I differ with them. I know some good men, and I love them dearly, that if you pinned them down on that, they would say, yeah, that's the way that I believe it, and that's the way that I teach it. And you know what? When it comes to that area, I'm going to go a very different direction than them. I'm not going to break fellowship with them, uh, even though I believe that uh, what they're teaching is very, very harmful and uh, and very, very false. So having said all that, let's move on to today's message. Uh, point number two, I want to talk to you about the relationship of the pastor to the people. If you take your Bibles and go to the book of 1 Timothy chapter number 3, in 1 Timothy chapter number 3, you're going to see that God has spelled out some of the details here. There's certainly more to what God expects of a pastor than just here in 1 Timothy chapter 3. But in verses 1 through 7, we're going to see what some people refer to as the qualifications of a pastor. I don't have a problem with using the term qualifications, but personally, I like to use the word expectations, all right? Because sometimes, you know, preachers are have feet of clay, just like you do. And Paul said quite clearly regarding ministers, he said, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. And, you know, we're preachers and pastors are human, and they may have times and seasons just like you do. Sometimes they are bringing their A game, and sometimes they're in a really bad slump. 
And if you look at all of these qualifications, there may be times when one or two or three areas that God says a pastor is supposed to, uh, to be good at that they may be deficient in that. That doesn't mean, I don't believe, that they are now disqualified for the ministry. If that were the case, then there would be a lot of revolving, there would be like musical chairs in the ministry, pastors leaving and retiring, or excuse me, resigning or being fired because, hey, you, you know, you haven't met all of these qualifications for a few months or maybe, you know, listen, there's going to be times when a pastor is going to fail and be deficient. And he may have, from God's perspective, he may have a very good, not excuse, but a very good reason. He may be going through something that you cannot understand. And so let's read it, and uh, let's, uh, let's certainly be aware of what God says is a expectation of what a pastor is supposed to be and do. This is a true saying, verse number one, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. That's not saying that just anybody who wants to be a pastor can be a pastor. Uh, I think that God certainly calls men who don't want to be a pastor, but I think that God also looks at the volunteer list as well. Here am I, Lord, send me. And so if a man desires, do you want to be in the ministry? You want to be a pastor? You are desiring a good work. And now just make sure that God's in it, okay? The worst thing that you can do is try to do something in spiritual, in, in, in a spiritual field that God has not called or equipped you to do. A young preacher or someone, a, a young man comes up and says, Hey, pastor, I believe that God's called me to preach. What should I do? You know what my first word of advice is? If you don't have to, then don't. You know, if God's called you, you can say, okay, I'm just going to resist this, I'm going to ignore this, and I'm going to see what happens. If God's in it, it'll come back. It'll stay. It's not going to be like, it's not going to be an emotional thing that you, you know, you you responded to an invitation, or maybe you just were feeling a certain way, it will, it'll last. And if God's in it, then you're going to find eventually that there's not anything that you can do that would make you happy or content. Back in the 90s, Brother Max and I worked together, and I, I had a job as a telephone cable splicer. Of all of the work and labor that I ever did in my life, aside from ministry, I didn't enjoy anything more than that, and at the time was making a very, very good living. Uh, it was it was my cup of tea. I enjoyed everything about it, but I found myself after a while, while I was doing that job, with this just uncanny feeling that I'm wasting my life in what I'm doing because God had something else in mind, and I just I had to seek the Lord. Come missions conference time, and the missionaries are all getting up and saying, hey, why don't you surrender to the mission field? And I'm saying, I'll go, I'll go. But the Lord's saying, no, that's not what I have for you. And I will say this, if you're willing to surrender to the Lord, he'll take care of the details. He'll take care of the what and the where and the when, if you'll just follow him step by step. Verse number two, a bishop then must be blameless. Notice he didn't say sinless. Thank God for that. 
He said blameless. He didn't say that he, you know, has to be impeccable and perfect. It's like if you mess up, if your flesh or your sin nature gets the best of you, then make it right, and then you can be in the blameless category. The husband of one wife. I, I, I believe, listen, there is a lot of controversy about that statement, the husband of one wife, and sadly, in, in Bible-believing Christianity, there's a whole list of things from verse 1 to 7, and sometimes that's the only one that anyone draws any attention to. You know, divorced and remarried preachers and so forth. And I don't have time to get into that controversy here today. I'll just simply say it is controversial. My take on it is regardless of what side of that equation that you're on, we just read there first that a bishop should be blameless. Meaning we've got to have a good report and we've got to understand that not everybody's going to see things the way that we see it. But the fact of the matter is there's a whole lot more. Listen, I know plenty of pastors out there that they have never been divorced and remarried, but really that's the only expectation that they could say that they meet the qualifications on. They're not, they don't have anything else going for them. Their families are wrecked. Their marriages are wrecked. I mean, they, um, they're not, they don't have hospitality. They're jerks. <laughs> I mean, the whole nine yards. They got, they got nothing going for them other than say, bless God, I'm never been divorced and remarried. Well, that's good. But the point I'm trying to make is this is a package deal, okay? I think that it's good. I think we would be wise to understand that. It says that a pastor also should be vigilant and sober of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? That's not saying that a pastor has to have a perfect family because he won't have a perfect family. And that's not saying that a pastor can't have children who grow up and go wayward. The issue is how is the pastor dealing with that? All right, is he dealing with it like Eli did with Hophni and Phinehas and just trying to ignore it and sweep it under the carpet? Or is he doing what he can within reason? Listen, when it comes to people whether it's family or business or church, people will behave in certain ways. You can't control them. And so you've got to look at what is the bishop, what is the pastor doing to try to correct this? Is he being consistent with all of the principles of the Word of God? Is he trying to fix this? Is he showing love and compassion? Is he trying to set a good example and so forth? And that's really all the time that we have to to deal with that topic. Notice verse number six says, not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Can you imagine if, if, if I decided maybe I'm, I'm praying and, and I get this, this, I mean, this really strong feeling. Can you imagine if I was praying last night? And I got this overwhelming feeling that God wanted me to be the president and CEO of Kiwani Scientific. 
That's a pretty big industry here in, in Statesville. And, and, and I went down there and, and, and I know Sister Robin works down there. I said, Hey, Sister Robin, who do I, who do I need to talk to? I'm supposed to be the next president and CEO. You know, I'm at the gate here. I'm ready to come and talk to them and let them know that I'm here. You're all look. I can see your look and you're scratching your head. You're going, that is ridiculous. How many people say, well, I went forward and God called me to preach. And so here I am. I'm ready to pastor a church. That's preposterous. It's ridiculous. God's business is way more important than Kiwani Scientific or any other business or industry. This is the most important business on planet Earth. Why would we, why would we say, hey, anybody willing to preach? No, not a novice. Lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Listen, there are different ways that God calls men. Paul said he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. God took Paul out into the wilderness and he took him to Bible school out there. Sometimes God will put a man through some things. But remember, the husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruit. You can't help other people become what they ought to be unless you went through the process yourself. And that's what is lacking. There are many people, sadly, that stand in a pulpit today that... Um, if you boil down their motives, they dislike being out in front of people. They like the attention. They like the prestige. They like to be in charge. And it's all ego. And it's not a servant spirit of God putting that heart in them as a pastor. And a lot of times their preaching will show forth that they're just trying to build a movement. They're just trying to to be successful so that they can feel good about themselves rather than truly take care of God's flock. And so these are the some of the expectations of a pastor. There are some other important things that a pastor is expected to be and do. Jeremiah 3.15, I've got this on the wall of my office. I assure you it is not decoration. It is not just for aesthetics. It is for, I, I like for anybody to walk into my office and they, I want them to know this is what's in my heart. It says in Jeremiah 3.15, And I will give you pastors according to mine heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. I do that to remind myself that's what I'm here for, to feed the people knowledge and understanding. I am not a motivational speaker, thank God, because that is not my gift. I am not here to move your emotions and to make you cry or laugh or feel good. Now, I, 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 I sometimes I try and I fail. I, I was trying to make people feel good at the, um, the snow tubing event yesterday. And so I did what, you know, we all do what we've got to work, you know, we do the best we can with what we got to work with. So what am I doing? I'm cracking bad dad jokes. And I made people laugh at me, not at my joke, but at me. That's okay. They smiled. And I was perfectly fine with that. Right, Brother Ralph? (laughs) If you can't make them laugh at your joke, make them laugh at you. But it's just good to see people smile. I'm not here to 
motivate you. I'm not here to be a, a guru and to try to control your life. I have to remind myself, Lord, it's my job. I want to be a pastor after your heart. And I want to teach the people knowledge and understanding. Jeremiah 10.21 says, For the pastors are become brutish and have not sought the Lord. Therefore they shall not prosper and all their flocks shall be scattered. Notice here that a shepherd after God's heart is someone who's going to seek the Lord. You know, I can't, I had someone here, uh, I've had this happen numerous times. Brother Mitchell, what's your vision for your church? The first time that it was asked of me, I really felt like a loser. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm supposed to have one of those? Because I didn't. Uh, well, and, and I'm kind of hemming and hawing and stuttering. And I'm going, well, I'm really not sure right. I don't remember what I answered, but I walked away from that conversation and go, well, maybe I need to get a vision for my church. And then I got to thinking about that. I got to praying about it. And I read what some other great spiritual leaders had had to say about that. And I started realizing that, hey, that's not biblical. What is the vision for my church? And all of these ministries that focus on the pastor having a vision for his church, they had one common denominator. The heart between the pastor and the people is the pastor just looked at the people as pawns to fulfill his vision and to reach his goals so that he could say, I'm a successful pastor. I told the Lord, I said, Lord, I don't want anything to do with that. You know what? This is all, this is in all honesty. You want to know what my vision is for this church? I'm looking at it right now. Your hearts. Your walk with the Lord. I'm not worried. Listen, I, I, I pray that Lord would send more people in that we can help. I don't worry about these empty seats. I got enough to worry about in you that are here. You're my vision. Caring for the flock. If God adds to us, great. If people leave and it's not because we failed or we compromised in any way, it's like breaks our heart. No pastor ever wants that to happen. But you know what? People are going to come and go, and we have to accept that fact. But it shouldn't change the heart of a pastor that, you know what, the people that are right there, we've got to feed them knowledge and understanding. We've got to seek the Lord and make sure that what we're preaching and how we're leading and how we're loving is according to what the Bible teaches, not according to what the world has to offer. You know, back in the 70s and 80s, a bunch of uh, there were some very popular men who built mega ministries. And you know how they built mega ministries? By a philosophy of saying, let's go into all of our neighborhoods and let's knock on doors. Let's take a survey and let's ask lost people what they want to see in church. And they made a list and they compiled it. And lost people would say, well, I like this about church and I hate this about church. And they determined what church was going to be based upon that survey. And they built mega ministries because of that, claiming that they were seeker friendly. No, they weren't. They were carnal and worldly because they were saying, how can we please men rather than just go to the word of God and say, God, what kind of church do you want us to have? Jeremiah 23, verse number two, therefore, thus saith the Lord God of Israel against the pastors 
that feed my people. Ye have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not visited them. I believe that a pastor is supposed to visit, have relationships with the people, interact with the people. I don't want to be one of these guys that you don't even know me outside of this pulpit. I want to be a part of your life. I want to be your friend. I don't want to be to usurp the Holy Spirit in your life. I just want to be able to tell you what the Word of God says. And when I walk down from this platform, I don't want to be your judge or your inspector. I want to be your friend. And I want to be everything I can to encourage and be a help to you. Acts 20, verse number 28 says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock, over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. So a pastor here is an overseer of a flock, and he is to feed the church of God, the body of Christ, if you will. First Peter chapter 5, verse number 2, and I'm going to have to go quickly here. It says, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willing, not because you have to, not trying to get the people to follow you by constraint, but a willing spirit and a relational type of leadership. And he goes on to say, willingly, not for filthy lucre's sake, not for a paycheck, not for money, not for the perks that come with ministry, but of a ready mind. That's what a good pastor does. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. Aren't you amazed, if you're not familiar with the Bible, aren't you amazed at how much the Word of God says about what a pastor relationship to the people is supposed to be like? It's all through the the Word of God. So a pastor doesn't lord over you. He's an example to the flock, and he's doing it willingly, not for filthy lucre. You know, I'll, I'll say this. Most of you know this, but maybe there's some folks that are new around here. This is the honest truth. What goes in that offering plate or what is given online, I have no idea. I don't know. Listen, if, you, if you're not giving, you're a church member and you're not giving, well, you don't have to worry about what the pastor thinks of you. I don't know whether you're giving or not. You may be, you may be dumping tons of money into the offering and thinking that, well, pastor's going to think I'm important. No, he's not, because he doesn't have a clue what you give, and that is on purpose and by design. That is between you and the Lord, not between me and you. Now, there have been times where if I am considering someone for an important position of leadership, then I will, I will certainly, I will talk to, um, the people who keep track of the charitable contributions, and I will say, hey, are they a faithful giver? I don't, I don't want to know how much they give, but would you look at that and say, hey, I think that they, they tithe on a regular basis, and that tells me that they truly believe in and support the ministry that's going on here at Temple Baptist Church. They put their money where their mouth is, so to speak, and I think that sometimes that is important. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 24 says, Not for that we have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy, for by faith you stand. So that's consistent with what we just read. Not uh, taking the oversight, but not 
by constraint, and the pastor is not your Lord or boss. He is not the Holy Spirit of God. He's just supposed to be a helper of your joy. And then 2 Timothy chapter 4, this is something that is so lacking among modern preachers here today, in America anyhow. 2 Timothy 4 verse number 2 says, preach the word, the Bible. A lot of preaching today is a bunch of stories and a bunch of just sentiment and, you know, it's stuff that makes the preacher look good, but sadly, the kind of preaching that most people like today doesn't contain hardly any Bible at all. In fact, most, most Christians today don't even bring their Bible to church. Listen, I want, I, want, I want you to get the Word of God, and that's why I put some on the screen. Listen, the best thing that I can do for you is to get you totally infected with the Word of God. Preach the Word. Be instant, in season, out of season. That means that, listen, it doesn't matter whether you feel like it or not, you got to do what's right. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. That means the preacher is supposed to get in front of you and tell you when you're wrong. You don't see a lot of that. I mean, I, I know there are still churches especially here in the South, where you get a healthy dose of rebuke and you don't get a whole lot of instruction in righteousness, not a whole lot of doctrine, but boy, they'll they'll skin your hide. There's a time for shearing the sheep. But listen, you don't shear the sheep every week. The sheep would be pretty bald, (laughs) wouldn't you agree? And you know, after a while, you're just, if you do it every week, you're just not going to get a lot of wool, (laughs) Right? There's a time to shear the sheep. But every week or every day, there ought to be that feeding of the flock. Verse number three, for the time will come. I think we're here, we're there now when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. This is teachers or preachers that their ears are itching because their, their whole motive is to hear you compliment them or to tell them how wonderful they are. They're just, they're trying to impress you rather than edify you. Verse four, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. These are a handful of biblical expectations. A pastor with a pastor's heart. Let me say this. I'm just going to be transparent about this. A pastor with a pastor's heart is a troubled man. Uh, Sometimes if you're around a pastor very much, you would almost think that they're just a a little bit, maybe they got some psychological problems. You ever noticed how weird us preachers are? I don't know if God just likes to call weird people to the ministry or if the ministry makes us weird people. Maybe a little of both. I don't know. But I'll explain to you maybe why pastors are troubled people or maybe just a little bit odd. Because the pastor always carries with him a burden and a sense of responsibility. It's hard for him to relax. 
it's hard to uh, to see people make decisions that he knows is going to hurt them and just be able to love them and not not get involved in all of that because he bears that burden for the people on his heart. Listen, he may take a break. He may go on vacation, but folks, that burden is always there. I've been guilty at times of laboring just to get a moment of relief from that burden. I didn't realize it at the time. I can remember times in my ministry where truthfully I was a workaholic. And I didn't know it. Why was I a workaholic? And sometimes my wife and I, we would have discussions about this. And she grew up in a pastor's home. And she's seen the difficulty of a pastor managing his heart and affection toward the flock and his time toward the flock and his heart and affection and time toward his family and his wife. And she's seen that tug of war that goes on in the schedule and the mind of a pastor. And she understands that. And there have been times where it's like, hey, I'm trying to obey the Lord. And it's like I'm neglecting her. And it just creates this tug of war. And I didn't understand it at the time, but the times that we've had difficulty, it was because I was out of balance. And I was neglecting some relational responsibilities while overemphasizing others. And the whole reason was not necessarily unselfish. It was selfish because I'm bearing this burden. And when I labor, when I meet with someone, or if I have this conversation, or if I fix this problem for just a moment... The pastor experiences a, whew, that burden is lifted. But it doesn't last. Sometimes it doesn't last until you go and make that visit and you feel that burden lifted. And by the time you get to the car, that whole burden is back. And I recognize the fact that, hey, I'm being a workaholic just because I haven't accepted or understood that this is a burden that God put on there, there is no relief for this burden. You just have to carry it and bear it. Often, a pastor's labor is in vain, and his hopes and his expectations are crushed. But I remind myself, and I remind all of us, that our labor should be a labor of love, not just to get relief. Not to feel a sense of accomplishment, but rather it should be purely out of love for God and for His people. Now let me say this to you, because this is an important note. If you've been listening to what I've just said the last few moments, please listen to this, because it is important. It is not for you to protect the pastor from that burden by not bothering him. That's not your place. God put that burden on a pastor. And I'm going to be totally transparent with you here this morning that when you help, you, you, when you share your burden with your pastor and he is able to listen to you or by the grace of God, he's able to do something to help you with your problem, you didn't burden him, you blessed him. You help relieve that burden because that's the burden that's on his heart. He wants to help. So please, don't take it upon yourself ever ever to say, well, man, I'm bearing this burden. I got this problem in my life, but I don't want to burden. I, I mean no disrespect, but when people have a problem 
and they say to me, hey, I'm sorry that I burdened you. Don't be sorry. You know, if the pastor tries to help you, and then you criticize him for how he tried to help you, well, that's certainly a burden. <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, you know what? <laughs> I was supposed to be on a date with my wife, but I'm spending it with you, and now you're criticizing me for what I said. <laughs> I didn't want to be with you to begin with. <laughs> joking. But seriously, you're not... Helping the pastor by saying, I don't want to burden you. That's what God has put in his heart, is to help the flock and to bear their burdens, to give counsel, to give guidance from the Word of God. And if you're willing to listen to what the Word of God says, then you just, you were a huge relief and help, even though you might have taken some of his time. That's what the pastor is there for. That's what gives him that sense of relief. And so I think that you, might can appreciate that spiritual leadership is complicated. Our labor is essential, and it must be with hope, and yet we must leave the results to the Lord. Some of you have heard of Dr. Lee Robertson, built a great ministry in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and he coined the phrase, at least in our movement, that everything rises and falls on leadership. Sadly, the second half of that paradox that everything falls on leadership, sadly, as in his last days, he started to see that, and that's exactly what happened. That ministry, in all practical reasons, doesn't even exist today. We're talking about a stalwart of Christianity back in the 80s and the 90s, not that many years ago, and it rose on leadership, but it also fell on leadership. I understand what the brother was saying, but I will say this, that it doesn't all rise and fall on leadership. That's where this book here is so important. Paul said, I have planted and Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Let's focus on what we're doing and let the results be left to the Lord. A.W. Tozer said this, he said, I confess that as a pastor, I am a troubled man. I am concerned. It is too late in my ministry for me to be engaged week after week with men and women who do not hear the pleading voice of God for our time and for our condition. I am serious about this. I do wonder if God must turn from those who have heard all of the Bible truths over and over again in order to find willing and responsive listeners elsewhere. In our basic evangelicalism, we disagree with that. We assure ourselves that God is always waiting to bless us. I remind you that the Jews of Jesus' day held the same attitude. Hey, don't worry about us, they said in effect. We are Abraham's descendants. We know who we are. If God is going to bless anyone, he is going to bless us. If I could pause and comment on what the brother said here. Listen, we are we're independent fundamental Baptists. We're King James Bible believers. You know what? That doesn't mean anything if we're not responding to and listening to the Lord through the Bible. And he goes on to say, I cannot determine 
when I will die, but I hope I do not live to see the day when God has to turn from men and women who have heard his holy truth and have played with it, fooled with it, and equated it with fun and entertainment and religious nonsense. We cannot deny that this attitude is found in much of current Christianity. As a result, people have hardened their hearts to the point that they no longer hear the voice of God. We ought to be crying out in repentance and prayer, Oh God, we have heard so much of your truth over and over again, yet we are ashamed that we have done so little in giving you our devotion and obedience. May God have mercy on us. I couldn't say it any better than what the brother said, and this has been quite a few years back when he said it. It's certainly gotten worse. I don't have time for my next point. I planned on finishing uh, this uh, part of the message here this morning, but I would like to give you the very beginning. We'll pick up on the rest of this last week. We've talked uh, so far here this morning on the relationship between the, the pastor and the people, and I want to talk now for just a few moments on the relationship, number three, of the people to the pastor. And I'm going to close with this. This is uh, There's a whole lot more that I want to say. I, I'd, I'd hope to say here this morning important things. And uh, hopefully by the grace of God, um, we'll be able to say those these things next week. But I want to read to you a, an article that uh, Brother Max shared with me here uh, several months ago. And it's written by David Cloud of Way of Life Literature. And it's dated December 1st. 2022. He just wrote this uh, the 1st of December, and it's entitled, You Can't Have the Pastor You Want. You will not have exactly the pastor you that you want. Think about it. If you had 100 church members, each one would have a different idea of what he or she wanted in a pastor. God is the one who calls men to the ministry and to a certain church. And you have to accept the pastor that God gives you and be patient with him and try your best not to compare him to other pastors. Of course, I am not talking about biblically unqualified pastors or pastors who are leading the church contrary to God's word. You can say, quote, I wish my pastor would spend more time personally discipling his people like that other pastor does. Or, quote, I wish my pastor would spend more time with the youth like that other pastor. Or, I wish my pastor would pay more attention to the children than that other pastor, but he is not that other pastor. Every pastor has strengths and weaknesses. The old deacon prayed for his pastor, Lord, prop him up on his leaning side. Every pastor has a leaning side. In fact, he will have multiple leaning sides, meaning weaknesses, even blind spots. Instead of criticizing his leaning side, we should follow the old deacon's example and rather pray for him to be propped up on that side. Every pastor has certain things that he will emphasize more and pay more attention to and be more gifted at. Every pastor must try to do everything that needs to be done, but no pastor has the time to do everything that could be done, and no pastor has every gift in perfection. Some will study more than others. Some will be friendlier and more outgoing than others. 
Some will evangelize more than others. Some will personally disciple more than others. Some will pray more than others. Some will be more oriented than others toward building the families or working with the children. Some will be more oriented toward training future preachers. This is another reason why team ministries are so important and beneficial when God calls men to work together as he did Paul and Barnabas, Acts 11, and when men can work together in harmony and humbly share the authority of leadership in a church. This is what we see in that church at Antioch, the first missionary church in Acts 13. But the bottom line is this, church member, you cannot and you will not have exactly the pastor that you want. You will have the pastor that God gives you, and it is your business to benefit from that pastor's ministry as much as you possibly can and to grow under that pastor's ministry so that you walk in the perfect and acceptable will of God. That is your business, and it is a full-time business. It is your business to roll up your sleeves and to help build the church for the glory of God. The same is true for marriage. You will not have exactly the wife or husband that you want. You will have the one that you have. Any individual that gets married with the idea of making one's partner into what he or she wants that person to be will be sorely disappointed. The wife's business is not to conform her husband into the image of what she wants in a husband. Her business before God is to love and honor and obey him and serve him as an helpmeet. The husband's business is not to conform his wife into the image of what he wants in a wife. His business is to love her as Christ loved the church, Ephesians 5. Likewise, the church member's job is not to conform their pastor into the image of what they want in a pastor. Their job before God is to love and honor their pastors, obey them, Hebrews thirteen seventeen, and to prosper spiritually as much as possible under the ministries, and to support them, and to do his or her part in building the church. That is what Brother David Cloud had to say, and uh, just like what A.W. Tozer said, I don't believe that I could say it better. I'm going to say more about this next week by the grace of God, but I close with this, and we're going to, I'm not going to have um, a big drawn-out invitation here this morning. I think that the truths that You've been given in the commentary personally that's come with it. I I can assure you that it has come with a sincere heart and without any ulterior motive. And I can promise you that the message here today is not corrective of Temple Baptist Church. I thank God that I can say this when, as far as I'm concerned, things are going good. This isn't a pastor up here that's uh, trying to correct a problem. I'm trying to instruct all of us, and remind us so that we don't become that problem church. We need to understand this relationship in order to be a healthy church. But I will say this, and any pastor, anyone who is aware of what is going on in Bible-believing Christianity today would agree with my statement. I, I think I can say it with all confidence. We are seeing an unprecedented amount of spiritual attack on pastors and their families. It's always been the case. They say a chain is only as strong as its weakest link, and it is true. 
And the devil has figured out some ways, and I'll say more about it next week, but I'm telling you, the devil has figured out ways to attack preachers and their families to the detriment of many local churches. He's doing the same thing in your home. They, I used to preach this, and I still believe it true, that the strength and health of a local church is only as strong and healthy as the individual families and members that make it. It's not a collective thing. We bring something to the table, and if your family or your home is strong, we'll have a strong church. If we have strong homes and churches in America, we'll have a strong nation. And I think if we did inventory today, we'd say we are really, really deficient. We are bankrupt. And so I encourage you, please, take it to heart what's been said here today. And I don't say it for personal reasons whatsoever, but rather for the health of this church to obey the Word of God, and to be what all of us need to be. I, I want to promise you here this morning that I will continue by the grace of God to try to be the pastor that the Word of God says that I'm supposed to be. And I will admit to you that I fully appreciated what Brother Cloud said. We've got our leaning sides. We've got our deficiencies. And sometimes, you know, I've had people that have pointed those out to me. And it's just like, Yeah, well, you know, I'm aware of that. You know, thanks for kicking me around the block. Because I just spent ten trips around the block kicking myself. Many times the pastor is not blind to those deficiencies and they're frustrated as well. And so pray for and support and get involved. And instead of saying, why doesn't the church do this? And why don't we have this for this ministry? Or why isn't this need being met? Listen, I appreciate it when people that are serving and worship. I mean, they are totally involved and trying to do everything that they can help. I appreciate it when they say, hey, pastor, what about this need? But when someone is always pointing out the needs, but they're never willing to roll up their sleeves and help out, sometimes I scratch my head and say, what, what, what are we here? You know, you wouldn't run your home that way. You wouldn't, you wouldn't let, you certainly wouldn't let your children tell you, Every mood. I hope you don't do that. I wish I could have finished this message here this morning. Maybe that the Lord just only wanted this part of it. But please, please rest assured that uh, this is this is not a self-centered message, and I don't. I certainly don't want any focus or attention drawn toward me, but I certainly want it drawn toward the ministry, and that was always Paul's intent, that the ministry be not blamed. God's business, the body of Christ, it's His church. It is not my church. It has never been Brother Wilson or Brother Pennells or anyone else's church. It is God's, and we are just simply men and our families that are trying to do the best that we can to be in samples and helpers of your joy and to do everything we can to help you in your personal walk with the Lord and that we can collectively serve the Lord and make a huge difference in the community around us for Jesus Christ.